Sometimes I think we are so used to Easter, we take it for granted that something amazing happened. And the truth is, is that if there is no Easter, there's no point celebrating Christmas. In fact, if Jesus' body was discovered tomorrow, I wouldn't be a Christian. The day Jesus rose isn't just good news. It is the best news. And so today I want to say that Jesus is alive. I'm going to say a few words about the Easter story. I'll tell you why his rising is hope for a glorious future and hope for us individually. Our text today is John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. You'll see it on the screen, and let me read it out to you. John 20, 1 to 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Somebody pray me, please. Father, as we look to you and your word now, 
We ask you, Lord, to speak to us. Give us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start by telling you the story of this book that came out 15 years ago called Wittgenstein's Poker. Poker, not as in a, not as in a card game, but in that metal implement used to tend the fire in the fireplace. This is a real story of an argument between two philosophers. And it happened on Friday, 25th October, 1946. In the evening, when two of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century met for a discussion in the rooms of one of the fellows at King's College, Cambridge. Two philosophers were Ludwig Wittgenstein and Karl Popper. Wittgenstein was already a famous academic. He had a reputation of being arrogant and rude. And he dominated meetings of the Cambridge Moral Science Club. But that day, the club had invited Karl Popper to come up from the London School of Economics to King's College to give a paper arguing against aspects of Wittgenstein's philosophy. So it was going to be a great showdown. The room was filled with other famous philosophers. Bertrand Russell was there, and he wrote the book, Why I Am Not a Christian. Richard Brightweight was there, and he was a practicing Anglican. This would be the only time in history that Wittgenstein, Karl Popper, and Bertrand Russell were together in the same room. And many people who were at that meeting are still alive. But the problem is that after the meeting, and later when these people were interviewed, they couldn't agree on what exactly happened, even though minutes were taken of the meeting. You see, it was a cold night, so there was a fire in the fireplace. Wittgenstein sat by the fire. And at one point in the meeting, Wittgenstein interrupted Popper. They had a fiery argument. Then Wittgenstein picked up the poker and raised it. Then he left the room. But later when interviewed, all these great academics disagreed on the details. These were all professors of philosophy concerned with knowledge and truth. But some said the poker was red hot. Others said it was cool. Some said that Wittgenstein waved the poker around to make his point. Others said he threatened Popper with the poker. Wittgenstein asked Popper for an example of a moral rule or principle. And Popper answered, not to threaten visiting speakers with pokers. Some of those agreed that Popper said that to Wittgenstein's face. Others claimed that Wittgenstein had already left the meeting. Some said he slammed the door. Others said he closed it quietly. These famous philosophers were all present in the room together. And yet they cannot agree on the precise details. But nobody doubts that the meeting took place. Nobody doubts that Wittgenstein, Popper and Russell were there. And that Wittgenstein picked up a poker and then left suddenly. I tell you this story. Because if you were to read all four gospel accounts of Easter, you will find they don't agree exactly. Matthew, for example, says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, were at the tomb. 
Mark says that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, went to the tomb with Salome. Luke says they went with Joanna and other women. And here today John says that Mary Magdalene was there alone. In fact, later when Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is not a gospel account but a letter, Paul tells the Easter story there. And there he leaves out all the women. Very brave man. Despite these disagreements, all the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are very clear that the tomb was empty and that Jesus is risen. As a historian, I want to go further and say that this messiness, these small discrepancies, show that the Easter story is not made up. We have four different writers approaching the story from four different angles and writing down what people had been talking about for a long time. There was no attempt to edit the stories so that all the accounts would harmonize. Each writer put their own stamp on a story that was already so hard to describe and so unbelievable. And it is a fact that eyewitnesses don't get all the details precisely the same. Just like in the encounter between Karl Popper and Ludwig Wittgenstein. These small inconsistencies, to me, prove that the Gospel writers were trying to be honest, that there was no conspiracy to cook up a common story. What were the Gospel writers trying to explain? They were trying to explain that even though Jesus was dead, the tomb was indeed empty. Jesus wasn't in the tomb. That Jesus was dead is not in any real doubt. The Romans who crucified Jesus would know a dead man when they saw one. And in Jesus' day, Jewish tombs of holy men and martyrs were venerated and often became shrines that people went to. But there is no such shrine for Jesus, because he has no tomb. And then, today we Christians worship on Sunday, which is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And Jews worship on the Sabbath. But the early church, largely made up of Jews, they switched worship from the Sabbath to Sunday because something happened on Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead. Who was the first to know that Jesus had risen, according to John? It was Mary Magdalene. Some people think she was a prostitute, but she wasn't. There is nothing in the New Testament to suggest that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was the first at the tomb. And she saw the stone taken away, so Mary ran to Simon Peter, and the young apostle Jesus especially loved John. Peter and John then ran to the tomb, but John ran on ahead. John got to the tomb first, but he was probably too shocked at the sight of the linen cloths to go into the tomb. You remember that in the previous chapter, John 19, there is a description of how Jesus' body was prepared for burial. 
Nicodemus and Joseph had wrapped up Jesus' body with about 40 kilograms of spices, myrrh and aloe. The linen was soaked with spices and then wrapped around Jesus. And the thing to remember is that Jewish burial then took place in two stages. First, the body is wrapped up and packed with spices and put on a shelf. When the flesh had decomposed, the bones will be collected and the bones will be put in a bone box called an ossuary. The spices were there, you see, to hide the smell. And yet, when John looked into the tomb, only the linen cloths were there. And John must have thought that not only had someone taken away Jesus' body, but that they had gone to the trouble of unwrapping the cloth first. Why would anyone want to do that? Peter came in close behind and entered the tomb. Peter saw that the single face cloth used to wrap Jesus' head was separated, folded up by itself. Then John entered the tomb. And that's when he believed that Jesus was alive. John 20 verse 8 says, He saw and believed. At this point, the disciples were still not clear about why Jesus had to be raised. But John at least believed that Jesus was alive again. Very soon, of course, you know, they would understand completely. But at the tomb, John believed that Jesus was alive. He is risen. So the question today is, so what? So what if Jesus is risen from the dead? And I want to say, firstly, Jesus rising gives us hope in a more glorious future. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Because our hope is not just in this life, but also in the next. There is a hope in a new resurrected life in future. And this idea of resurrection was already revolutionary in biblical times. In the ancient world, nobody except some Jews believed that resurrection was possible. The Greeks, the Romans, even the Sadducees didn't believe that people could be resurrected. Now, resurrection doesn't necessarily mean going to heaven. You see in verse 17 today, Jesus told Mary, I have not yet ascended to the Father. In other words, Jesus had come back to life without going to heaven or ascending to the Father. And Jesus did not return to his present life. For example, when Jesus raised Lazarus, Lazarus came back to his present life. In other words, he would grow old and die. Lazarus would still die. But resurrection is going through death to life beyond in a new creation where death has been defeated. And Jesus is the only one to have done that. Whether the disciples knew it or not, a new world had begun. And today, as children of God, we have a place in that new world. And so first, Jesus rising gives us hope in a more glorious future. Secondly, Jesus 
rising gives us hope in ourselves. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't show himself to Peter and John? I mean, if he was going to reveal his new resurrected body to individuals, you would expect Jesus to select the more famous apostles who had been with him from the beginning, those who would go on to lead the church. But Jesus chose Mary to see him first, to be the first witness of the resurrection. This was earth-shaking because at that time, in that place, women were not credible witnesses. Generally, women were not allowed to give evidence in court. And in the ancient world, they had a much inferior position in society. Moreover, Mary had been delivered from demons in the past. Mark chapter 16 verse 9 says that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. And yet she is the person to whom the resurrected Christ appears. Mary was so consumed by grief. She just stood there crying outside the tomb after Peter and John go home. She didn't even wonder why two angels were in the tomb. And unlike John, Mary didn't believe that Jesus had risen. That's why she couldn't leave. That's why she was standing there crying. All she wanted was Jesus' body back. And when she saw through her tears someone standing behind her, she didn't realize it was Jesus. She didn't recognize his voice. She thought it was the gardener. And she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary would take back her teacher and friend herself. And then Jesus said her name, Mary. At that moment, Mary knew. Mary knew her mourning was over. Her Savior is alive. And there was no time to hug and celebrate or even to ask questions. Mary was sent back to the disciples with the message that Jesus was ascending to the Father. And because of what Jesus had done on the cross, because of his death, and resurrection. God the Father is now our Father too. He is our God also. That was the message Mary gave the disciples. The lesson here, I think, is that Jesus knows our names also. No matter how unworthy we think we are, what skeletons are in our closet, God can choose the most unlikely people to be his messengers. No one who goes to the tomb looking for Jesus is left standing alone. Our God will come. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ didn't begin with a public announcement to the world. And Jesus didn't appear or doesn't appear today only to the best or richest or most powerful disciples. Jesus calls our name just like he did for Mary. But do we recognize his voice? Do we know Jesus is calling? Do we know that Jesus is risen? That he is alive? If you don't know that Jesus is alive, 
that the world has changed and today there is resurrection, then Easter has no meaning for you. But it is never too late. We just need to recognize who is calling. No matter how checkered our past is, how unworthy we may feel, how inferior our position in society, Jesus calls our names also. And we are no longer threatened by death and hell. Jesus receives us into his kingdom. So today on this most happy of mornings, I want to ask you if you know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Or if you do, whether you feel close to Jesus, if you are his friend, if you would recognize him near you. If you would like to know more about Jesus, or how to draw nearer to him, or if you just have a prayer request, then after the service, please come up to the front. There will be people here to talk to you and pray with you. Or you can pray alone if you wish. But I urge you today, seize this opportunity to draw nearer to God. If you do know Jesus as God and King, then I want to encourage you to continue to work hard in the kingdom of God. Remember, all we do for God has eternal significance because there is resurrection. Because we have hope in the glorious future that we will be resurrected. And hope in ourselves that God can use us even if we feel most unworthy. Then we should be working hard for the kingdom. In the Bible, there's one chapter all about resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Paul ends that chapter on resurrection not by telling his, the disciples to, to relax. No, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. the last verse says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our work now will not fade away. Our labor in the Lord is never in vain. And so let us be hard at work for the Lord. For Jesus is risen. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for all that Jesus did for us this holy week. His suffering, his pain, his death and his resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, that because he lives, we will also. We thank you for including us as your people. And we ask you, Lord, to make us be the people you want us to be. Help us, Lord, always to be working hard for you. So that when Jesus returns, he may find us hard at work in the fields of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.